0: Welcome back to the Autism Helper podcast. I am super excited to share my interview with Heather, where we just both geek out on data collection for a while. And if you are not a data lover, don't worry, we're going to get you to drink the Kool-Aid because we are sharing all kinds of reasonable, actionable strategies that you can easily embed in your day to take consistent data. Heather is a former special education teacher and current curriculum director. She is the voice behind the amazing website, Full Sped Ahead. You can find her on fullspedahead.com or any of of her in social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all that. We're sharing a few links in the show notes to some of her video tutorials on Google Forms, which we're going to chat about in this interview. So we talk about basically why data is important. Let's give that sales pitch. Why do we need data in our classrooms? And then what are some ways to overcome those big obstacles to taking consistent and effective data? So let's go ahead and hear from Heather on data collection. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to talk data, and I know you are a fellow data nerd, but as we know, everyone has like a love or hate relationship with it. So
1: I'm excited to have like two data nerds to just geek out on this. Yes, totally. And you're totally right. It is a love-hate relationship. And some days you love it. Some days you're like, oh, it's the bane of my existence.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I feel like when, whenever I present on data or talk about data or anything related, I, there's like half the group that's always like, Ugh, like, all right. And I'm always like, no, you got to drink the Kool-Aid. Like, this is why we need it. So yes. to kind of get us started, let's, let's give the sales pitch. Like, why, why do we need to take data?
1: Like, what does data really do? Oh gosh, I mean by law you are required to take data on student progress to determine where they are at, where you need to go. Um, obviously that should be helping drive instruction um, in their programming and how fast they need um, information to be given to them, how slow information needs to be given to them, um, how they learn can be taken in data, um, and really it just gives that accurate full report of that student, to determine where they're at and I can't count how many times that I've t- been told I know what my student knows how to do. I don't need to take data on it. And I'm like, "Oh my god, you are hurting my heart right now." Um because really we do need to see what the data says, what that report says um to truly know where they're at. And that
0: I've heard that as well, you know, like, "Well, I know." And it's like, "But you but you don't." Like I forgot what I ate for breakfast yesterday, much less like how many correct responses this student had in this specific skill, like that you just aren't capable of remembering in such detail all of these different skills that all of your students are working on.
1: Yeah. And some days are better than others. So you might take information or know or you've tried something one day and they didn't get it. So you're like, well, they don't know how to do that. But then the next day you try it again and they know how to do it because just that little extra time to gain that information, take it in, understand what was being asked of them, they're able to do that skill. Yeah, that's such a great point. Like identifying those like
0: inconsistencies and figuring out like, is it a mastered skill or was this just an off day? Because we all have
1: those. Definitely.
0: So you know what, those of us that have those days or moments or years of like, oh my god, data, like, where, where does that come from? What are those the obstacles to taking consistent data in the classroom? And this could be like a five hour answer. So like, but like biggest obstacles that that you see that teachers face every day on being able to really take effective data?
1: Well, I'm going to just address the elephant in the room. <laughs> Staffing. Yep. Um, I think is the biggest concern for educators. Um, I had faced it when I was in the classroom as well. Inconsistent staff, um, staff not being there at all and it just being me, Um And that's just going to really impact the consistency in data collection. Um, And beyond that, it's going to be finding that time in your day to put it in your schedule or being more mindful about this is the time that I'm going to track data um, on this IEP goal or the certain skill or whatever it is. Um, And then you are just finding that time to be consistent, like following up with it, analyzing that data, figuring out what you can change from it. Um, so it is definitely a timing piece and a staffing piece. I love that you brought up staffing first because I think that there's a lot of
0: misconceptions that like oh, the teacher needs to take all the data and like it has to be just me and it and it shouldn't be and and that makes it for sure more difficult, like you said, with inconsistent staffing, with staff that has, you know, no buy-in for this. And then there's the whole staff training piece, which could be like a whole other discussion. But it shouldn't just be
1: the teacher. If you have staff in your room, they have to be collecting data as well. Right. And then the time to find to train your staff how to take data on it. So we can ensure that the data is being collected correctly um, and showing that student progress without prompting and support that might happen.
0: Yeah. And I think that's half the overwhelm with people like, okay, yeah, I know my staff should should take data, but like I can't even carve out the time to sit down with them and explain what to do. So I'm just going to try to do it all myself and then
1: they crash and burn. Oh yeah. And then they're like, well, it's just not going to happen because I can't do it. And then it's, it is, it's a, I throw my hands up in the air and I'm giving up because I can't have one more thing on my plate, even though this one thing is gigantic and we need to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a vicious cycle. Cause like, yeah, once you have that Throw your hands in the air moment. You're like, well, I'm not trying again because I tried it and it did work. And then you're like, totally ducked back at the start. All right. Well, let's not just like talk about all the things that suck about data. Let's let's talk about some solutions because I know you have some great suggestions for overcoming these obstacles. What are some ways that you even get started? Like, let's say you're talking to this teacher that's had that at their hands in the air moment. What, what is that first, like, kind of quick win you can give them with data collection? Or what do you suggest
1: on, like, restructuring your systems or expectations? Um, Definitely looking at your schedule is going to be your first thing. Um, Where do you have those pockets of time that maybe you can run a center for IEP goals or you can pull that student from a whole group speech therapy um, for five minutes to track data? Um, So making sure it is in your day and embedding it into your day so it is part of your schedule that this is IEP goal time. This is um, checking on their daily living skills, uh, whatever it is, just making sure it is in in your day so that you can be consistent with it. Because I feel like that's the hardest part is we try to say, oh, I'll, I'll do it on, I don't know, Tuesday maybe. And then Tuesday rolls around and there's just chaos, staffing's down, all the students are sick, whatever happens and it just doesn't happen. We get it. Chaos happens in our room sometimes, but making sure it is in your day as part of the schedule and even in your student's schedules, so they know it's coming. I love that idea of just five minutes.
0: Like I think I think the kind of expectations, like we get in our own ways sometimes, like, oh my God, I have to be doing this all day, every day, and this, and that's where, you know, we, the overwhelm really sets in, and the like, I'm just in decision fatigue, I can't even decide on how to do this, and instead, just, just five minutes, like that feels doable.
1: Yeah. And for me, when I was low staff and it was just myself in the room, I did plan for every other week. It wasn't feasible for me to do every week with every student um, just because I felt like I had to do it all myself so that I would rotate my students. I had a group of six students. So I'd do three one week and then three the next week and then rotate. Um, Oh my God. I want people to like like replay the last 30
0: seconds of what Heather just said. Because I think that like People need permission to do that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like that they're like, oh my God, no, I have to do it every day. I'm like, first of all, no, you don't. But even if you're, if you're short staffed every
1: other week, that's great. Yeah. That's that's good enough, you know? That's what was manageable for me at the time um, and what I could do. And then, yeah, if I had an extra moment or two and I was like, wait, actually, it'd be great if I could run that goal one more time. Mm-hmm. I do. I pull that student and try to do it. And you get that, you find that pocket of time, that five, 10 minutes at the end of the day, at the beginning in the morning. Um, everybody seems to be doing their own independent work or everybody seems to be regulated, I might pull a student or two and try to get some stuff done. And I think also, I don't know if you see this,
0: but like a, uh, not a misunderstanding maybe, but like, and I think I used to be like this as well. Like every time I work on a skill, I should be taking data, but you can practice skills and work on skills all throughout the week. You don't have to always be taking data on it. Totally. And I think like that gets overwhelming too. If you're like, every time I work on something, I need to be pulling out a data binder. Like I understand the like, you know, hesitation with wanting to even set that up because like, how, how would that go?
1: Yeah. And there has to be teaching a part of it too, where you are teaching the student how you want this to be run and you're doing error correction and you're doing those things. um, But maybe you're not taking data on it because you do have to show the student what they need to be doing prior to just automatically taking data on, you know, fluency or whatever it is, you really want to show them, this is how I want it to be. Um, The answers that I'm expecting from you.
0: Yeah. And have that opportunity to like really go through the skill. And like you said, all that error correction piece. And you'll still be able to show growth if like, let's say you're doing this every other week. You know, I I take down the skill and check in. You're going to see that like, hey, before I've done all this teaching and and really modeling on this skill, we were we were really struggling. We weren't there yet. And after some of those
1: sessions where we got some good teaching in, we're seeing that growth there. Yeah, definitely. It's great to see that growth and that progress, even just from the beginning and seeing where the student has grown. What, as far as that staffing piece, so that I think that's
0: an awesome suggestion for really having like one, no staff or staff that is like a revolving door and you literally never know who you're going to get that day. Like doing it yourself, having a reasonable, manageable schedule. I love the other, every other week. If you do have staff that are consistent or at least like one staff member that's consistent and that's like, you know, a big ask right now, it's funny that like five years ago I used to say everyone was understaffed and now it's like a whole, whole different world. But what are some tips on, on training staff members and team members on the data collection piece? What have you found to be successful for that?
1: Yeah. So when I do train staff, it is a I do, we do, you do model um, so that I will do it first. I will typically run it and have them observe it for a week or two, depending on how comfortable they are and how um, familiar they are with procedures for the classroom. And after I do it for two weeks, I let them watch, I let them ask questions. Um, You know, they might try to take data alongside with me so that they kind of have an understanding Um, But then we move into the, of course, we do, where we both are consistently taking the data, um, working together. Again, I'm still running it. Maybe I'll give them the opportunity for them to run it, um, and I can give some feedback on how they're doing it. And then after a week or two, depending, again, on the person and how comfortable they are, then I will do um, they do and I watch. Um, I don't say anything during the process. I let them do it. Um, And then we'll talk about it afterwards and kind of debrief about what could have been done differently. What more expectations do I have of it? um, How did the student respond? That kind of thing. Love that.
0: And that I like that you're giving some I know it's all like, you know, rough estimates, but I like that you're kind of giving some timelines here that this may take two weeks. This may take another week because
1: it can't be done just in one day. No, it's going to take time. And that's the hardest part is we don't have the time. But being able to, again, be consistent um, and you are training another staff to then do this for you. So it isn't just you. So even if it is just one student's one goal to start off, that takes that off your plate for the moment. Yeah.
0: And so let's say this whole process, let's say you're working with, you know, Johnny on, I don't know, let's say letter identification and you work on this for a month, teaching this staff member to do this. Whatever like was in your schedule as the teacher during that time, let's say you were running a different group, like how, how does that work out? Like where, where you're supposed to be somewhere else during those few weeks where you're teaching, what is that student doing? or those kids going if, if you're in some
1: type of a small group rotation? Totally. Um, so typically I would teach my school or start my school year by teaching independent workstations. So independent activities for every student um, and then teaching my staff, obviously just to monitor without prompting, um, because typically it's more leisurely type tasks or tasks that they enjoy. Maybe it's an iPad game, that kind of thing. So that kind of helped shape a lot of my students um, being able to work independently so that I did have that extra time to work one on one with one para or two paras, um, depending on how many I had and the flow of the classroom. So maybe I had one para monitoring the room while I'm working with the other um, para to train them on it. Yeah. That,
0: Cause that's always, I think, you know, you got to wrap your head around that scheduling piece. Totally. And then once, so let's say this para is now, okay, she's running the program. Great. It's awesome. She's doing letter ID then do you shift your schedule so you like are pulling another pair in or going back and like resetting up students because I think you know I don't know if, if you notice this too it's like and I'm I'm so like this like it's like you get the schedule down you're like this is a schedule for the whole year but the schedule can be this like flexible changing thing mm-hmm. so once you kind of train your staff what what's that next move then? Is it like training maybe another staff member or like refiguring on adding more small groups in
1: Yeah. So it totally could be having that extra para, if you have a miracle second para in your room, um, that they can observe how that goal is being run. And and then you are doing a whole group with everybody else um, so that you do have a a third person to run that, or you can have them um, and train them on somebody else. So typically then if I have a group being run by my SLP, my social worker, um, somebody else, then I will pull that student and that extra para, that second para, to then train them on that IEP goal. And again, it can be a 10 minute thing, a five, 10 minute um, pull. Let's do this. And then you can go right back to the group so that you're not losing too much of those SLP, social work, OT minutes, those kind of things, because I know that's a concern as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think, yeah, again, that like five, 10 minutes, again, it seems doable. It seems like, manageable. And I like that you said earlier, like this can just be one kid, one goal. Like start with that. Like it doesn't have to be like the be all end all every single thing at once. It can be one thing. Definitely. So let's talk digital data collection. Cause I know, you know, you are super into this and I think this is always a great way to kind of make your systems more streamlined, make it easier, make it faster. So what have you found successful with digital data collection?
1: Oh, my gosh. Digital data collection has made it easier for me to collect data on the goal. on. Oh my God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, um, <laughs> take data on IEP goals on the go. So I will have an iPad with me. I will bring my laptop with me. I will bring my phone with me, whatever it is. Um, I know a lot of schools are going one-to-one tech. So that's a great and easy way to then track all of that. On the go, you can use the student's device, you can use your own devices, um, and I can collect data literally in the gym. I can collect data in the lunchroom, um, just with an iPad in front of me or my phone. Um, So I use QR codes to either scan it, so again, that extra layer of confidentiality, and then I always password protect my Google Forms. So Google Forms is how I collect the data and that password protected is, again, that second layer. So you have to log into Google, then you have to scan the QR code, then you have to put in a password to get to that Google Form. So again, that confidentiality is not a concern because if you can get past all three of those layers, like you probably have access to it. (laughs) Um, So using all of that is just saved me so much time and energy on the fly. Okay, so let's talk Google Forms. So that is your preferred method
0: for digital data collection? Yes, I know there was a lot of information in that last No, I, I liked all of it. I was like, oh, good. Let's break this all down. Okay, so let's talk Google Forms. How? What types of skills and goals do you like using Google Forms for?
1: Everything, anything. <laughs> um, life skills, behavioral, IEP goals, parent communication, Um general education teacher input. I give it for everything. Um, I even use it sometimes to um, track which accommodations were being used on a certain uh, activity or class. Um, you, The possibilities are seriously endless. And what I love about Google
0: Forms is then it turns into a spreadsheet and then you can chart it. And that's like that last piece that sometimes I think if you haven't like drank the Google Forms Kool-Aid, it's because you haven't to me, made it into a spreadsheet and then graphed everything because then you can just look at the graphs. Like if you're the one that's analyzing the data, if you have paras that are taking data, you don't even have to go into the form.
1: You just can go in and look at graphs and, and really see what's going on. And it does it for you. Yes. So that's the best part is if people might not know that. They're like, oh, I have to like highlight all these things and then figure out how I want it to look. Is it going to be a line graph? Is it going to be a bar graph? Like if you click that bottom right corner explore button, all those little Charts will pop up for you and you can put a graph right in there and you can see the progress. You can put it in a trend line. It'll automatically put it in for you if you want. Um, So that saved me a lot of time and just print that out, bring it to an IEP meeting, print that out, bring it to their progress reports, whatever it is. Um, It saved me so much time.
0: And if you bring graft data to like any meeting ever, everyone automatically thinks you're like the best teacher in the world. They're like, Oh my god, you graphed the data and you're like, Yes, yes, I did. Yes.
1: Here's the progress. Here's the regression. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this little is what did they, they know like. it took
0: two seconds to do this. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. It doesn't take much skill. I know a lot of people are very technology wary of what could happen. I might break the computer. No, like this yeah. is literally step-by-step, step, click a couple buttons and it's done for you. And like Google's smarter than us. So it like basically tells you what to do.
0: It's like, you should put the date here. And you're like, oh yeah, I should. Good idea. Like they, it's all, it's all very user-friendly.
1: Yeah. It's like change the title. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot about Thank that. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and what I love too about when it's graphed is you don't have, once you set up the graph, you never have to set it up again. Like you can keep adding data and the graph will keep updating, which is yes. is so awesome. It's like really one and done. That initial setup which is so quick. You only have to do one time.
1: Yeah, and I've even shared that Excel sheet with families so that they can see the progress over time as well. So it's not just a quarterly report. They can see that progress as we are doing it.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And I think parents too, I've had so many parents that have responded so much better to graft data versus like you know a data sheet or like a big spreadsheet with a ton of numbers because you gotta really sit and process that versus if you're visually seeing what's going on, right away you're like, oh wow, yeah, like this really this behavior has really peaked and and spiked up here and or oh yeah, this skill is going better because you're just visually looking at something. That like analysis piece that we're really asking parents to do when we involve them in data collection is is so much easier when it's when it's graphed.
1: Yeah. And furthermore, sometimes it's just those numbers are so overwhelming. So always in my Google Forms, I add a comment box. So I might say this was after lunch or this was before lunch or this was after a big behavior or whatever it was. So that information is also sometimes really helpful um, that if there's a regression or a huge increase that wasn't expected, like those extra pieces of information can be super helpful.
0: Yeah, I love that. And because sometimes, you know, you want that little that, you know, that that context for the situation that we don't always maybe feel like we have in a digital format. Yeah, it totally could impact their day and the way that data was taken. Have you found staff open to transitioning
1: to a more digital based data process? Yes and no. I feel like it's 50/50, but what I really do like about Google Forms is I can print it off and they can literally highlight a circle, a box, check it, whatever it is. Um, and I can put it in later. Yeah. I know I've I've done that too and actually I do that myself
0: sometimes with certain like in-home clients where I will use paper pencil and then I'll put it in Google Forms later and it feels like maybe an extra step, but it takes literally two seconds to put it into Google Forms. And it's more of than like this organization analysis piece versus like the collection mode. But for certain goals or honestly, certain kids, if like that tech device being out, like I particularly have a client that like if the iPad's out, it's a problem. So like we don't ever have the iPad out. So, you know, things like that are great workarounds for, you know, maybe staff that are reluctant.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I always embedded in my schedule on Fridays before I left at the end of the day to put in any data that was on paper um, and then also to just take two, three minutes of each IEP goal and analyze it just slightly just to see if there was a trend upwards or downwards. Um, and if anything needed to be changed for the following week, just to make a mental note or maybe a post-it note on my desk to see like this is what is currently trending or not trending. And um, here's what I might try next week to see if it can improve.
0: Oh, I love that. And like how, I mean, how long is that Friday process take? Like that's, it's not like hours.
1: No, like I said, it's usually two to three minutes a kid, um, just going through each goal, you know, just a quick check, quick glance. um, And again, that trend line is already there. You can see it currently in the graph. So um, it makes it super easy just to kind of see, oh, this was an upward trend. This was a downward trend. Okay, it was an off week for them. We understand that. Okay, let's try something different next week. That's great. And I think,
0: you know, if if we kind of in a weird way loop this data collection conversation to like burnout and feeling confident as a teacher and as an educator I think that process that you just said of like every Friday afternoon looking back at what you did would be such a great tool to like building up your your confidence and your your like knowledge that like oh I this is everything I did this week and and feeling like you're really going in the right direction because I think there's a lot of like what ifs and I'm not sure and that really leads to that burnout too of like I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm being successful but when you're like actively looking through the progress your kids are making, that can really, you know, help alleviate that of like, no, look, I'm doing the right thing. Look at the great progress all these kids are making. I'm seeing it right here.
1: Yeah, that teacher reflection piece is huge. And I feel like we miss that a lot of times, um, is that we're just so done from the end of the week and we're just ready to get home, but taking a moment to say, wow, that lesson actually did go really well. Um, or that data collection session did go really well, um. They really made that progress. It's really nice to kind of see, and you know, pat yourself on the back that we don't do enough, and say, you know, I am doing enough. I am a good teacher, um, just based on the data. Yeah,
0: because you know what? Maybe other people won't tell you that, but you have to tell yourself.
1: <laughs> Definitely.
0: <laughs> so, what types of goals are and skills really are important to collect data for? Because obviously, you know, we're all thinking IEP goals as we're like listening
1: to this whole conversation, but. What other skills are important to collect data on as well? Um, honestly, like I said before, it's going to be anything that you want, anything that you can dream of, anything you want a child to make a little bit progress on, um, or a parent has expressed concern in, um, from transitions to the hallway, to unpacking their backpack, to brushing their teeth, to organizing their desk. I mean, you can really do anything. Um, I usually did the IEP goals, of course, and then daily living skills. So anything, like I said, that transitioning, their self-management or self-care, their, um, toileting skills, they're changing their clothes, anything like that you can totally track progress on. Yeah. And I think it's important to know like how important those are. And those
0: all really end up impacting our IEP goals, you know, in non-direct ways, like all those executive functions of transitioning and managing our emotions and being flexible and managing our time are going to play a role later in our success on our academics. So, really looking at those those daily living skills, executive functions, and tech, tracking data on that too. And I know that feels like, oh God, you want me to take more? But those are so such important skills that also parents have a lot of buy-in on building those up too. So it'll be a great way to like build that relationship with parents on like, hey, look, we're working on tying our shoes or getting our backpack on by yourself.
1: Yep. That all goes into that independent functioning and how much support they do require in the day and how much support they require from an adult, how much prompting how much everything um, because we are working towards that independence for many of our students. Do you and find, whatever that looks like?
0: Yeah and do you find like that data piece on the independent functioning and like daily living skills is helpful when talking to administrators on like staffing and things like that when it comes to figuring out how much support
1: a classroom mm-hmm. or students need? Yeah, that's usually what I do at the beginning of the year is I track all of that independent functioning to determine, you know, how much support are they really requiring? Maybe they do need two people next to them when they transition in the hallways because they elope. Um, But if I can say, well, it's me in one para and then the rest of the students are by themselves transitioning and they're unable to do that independently, that does require data to show the student does require this second person here and it can't always be me. Mm. So yes, then it does come into a staffing conversation and it's great to have for administrators to say, this is why we need this other adult in the room.
0: Yeah. not that they'll always be able to say yes, but it's good it's to true. have that data to support it. You know, it's a different, I think it's a different conversation when you go to an administrator, like, Hey, this is the problem. And this is what I think versus this is the problem. This is what I think. And here's the data to support it. It's It's just a different conversation when we have that data piece to support our opinion and
1: and what we think our kids need. Yeah, totally. Um, I've had those conversations many a times, and that data piece really does help um, that conversation go the way you want it to, hopefully. Um, I know there's a whole lot of things to consider with that, including pay and everything else that they have to do to hire somebody. Um, But, you know, that data does really help.
0: And I think, like, you know, if you are teaching kids with high needs or any type of more like complex situation with a family in the back of my head is always like, Oh God, if this were to go due process and not that you want to be worried about that, but like, I don't know if you've ever had to go through due process, you always worry about it forever. So that's like always in the back of your head too. Like I want to show that I'm doing the right thing here, whether or not, you know, the school's giving us the right staffing or the right structure or the right resources we need. I'm taking data to show that like I've done what I can and this is, these are the supports we have been able to provide.
1: Yeah, because ultimately it comes down to what's best for the
0: students. End yeah. of story. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Heather, I could just like chat data all day. But, you know, sure. <laughs> Not everyone wants to hear hours of data collection. Um, well, thanks so much. This is awesome. And I know you have some video tutorials on Google Forms. Is that correct?
1: Because I'm going to link yeah. it in the show notes. Yes, I definitely do. I have a mini course. It's a 15-minute training of how to set up Google Forms. Um, I also have some digital data collection resources in my Teachers Pay Teachers store.
0: Great. Well, I will link those as well as a link to your blog and your social media handles. Where can people go? Where's the best place to go for people to learn more from
1: you? Yeah, I'm everywhere pretty much at Full Speed Ahead. Um, I have my website, Instagram I'm most active on, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, you name it, I'm there. Great. Well, thank you so much, Heather. Thanks for having me, Sasha.
0: Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper Podcast. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.